welcome, especially if you're new. Um, you know, we love to create experiences for people to just maybe get a little closer in their spiritual journey, a little closer to connect with God, and uh, tonight's no different, and we're excited to have you here, especially if you're new, and uh, I know it takes courage coming to a new place, and so welcome. I'm Jack, one of the pastors here, and and uh, we're going to look into God's Word here for a few minutes, and then we're going to worship a couple more songs at the end, and we'll take communion and have an opportunity for you just to reflect a little bit. So that's kind of where we're going. Uh, a quick second, just to say thank you. Uh, thank you to, to all many of you who gave up a Sunday morning, because uh, I know our church is different, we meet at night, but you gave up a Sunday morning to go and serve, and for those of you who weren't able to do that, you had an incredible team uh, work this morning to pack 20,050 uh, meals that will go, and that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> and... Brian, I'll share a few more stories at the end, but I just want to tell you how proud I am of, of you and, and to represent all of Element City Church and to, to make a difference, uh, working hard, and uh, I heard you had some good dance moves as well. And so uh, just having fun and packing those meals out to be a great blessing to kids all over the city and, and to families, and so that's really awesome. And if you're new, we're a church that likes to serve. We do that. We do some food distributions here. Brian uh, earlier talked about that, the one that's coming up. That the fourth Saturday, uh, next Saturday. So those are great opportunities to jump in and kind of get to meet some people and make a difference and, and serve with us. So um, that team was an amazing team today. And that's kind of what I want to talk about tonight as we continue our series looking at this idea of changed. So we know, and it's looking into 1 Peter. So if you have your Bibles, you can go to 1 Peter chapter 2. We'll get there. Or if you have your smartphone, you can open up our app and just click on the Bible, uh, and that will take you the kind of the sermon notes. It'll take you through all that stuff. You can follow along. But think about team, the idea of team and how it works. Uh, how many of you have been part of a, think back in the recesses of your mind for, for some of you reaching a little bit further back, uh, you've been part of a sports team of growing up or now maybe you're on a sports team now how many of you been part of maybe a military unit a team that functions and has goals and missions it has to carry out okay many of you did that how many of you anyone been part of band or symphony uh, things that you had to be a part of a team to make, make that all work okay here's what I want you to do you're gonna turn to your neighborhood the two three people right around you and you're gonna say here's the team I've been a part of before well, maybe it was a different example of one of those you got 28 seconds you ready set Go, team. What kind of team have you been a part of? What kind of team have you been on? All right, about 10 seconds. Some of you have been part of cool teams. You've won stuff, and you wanted to make sure everyone knew that your team won state or whatever it was. Good for you. Okay. Um, but you've been a part of teams. Maybe some of you were like, I'm not playing because I'm, I'm, I play tennis. Um, good for you. Okay. Uh, but you probably still have a team of people who support you and all that kind of stuff. So teams, here's what uh, you come to realize is you're a part of team, whether that's in the band of some sort or maybe in a drama team or maybe uh, sports or whatever that may be, is somewhere along the way, um, you approach that team as, as you. 
because that's who you are, right? You're you. But you go into that experience of a team, and, and what you realize real quick is that you're, you're a part. You're not the whole. And, and for so much of our life, we're the whole. And so much of our culture kind of pushes us to this idea of, like, we've got an incredible me vibe in our culture. So much of the context of of what swirls around us, the services, social connections, all that kind of stuff is about me. It's about what my wishes and my dreams and my desires, it's, it's Burger King. You can have it your way, right? So it's why we shop online because we could shop there and then it gets delivered right to me and I don't have to interact with you, right? And so it's just about me in that moment. And so much of our cultural context reinforces, almost even promotes this idea of this me vibe. But so much of scripture counters that with this idea of not just about me, but about we. In fact, there's this simple biblical principle that you'll see all throughout the New Testament, especially we're going to touch on it here in 1 Peter, but it's all over and it's simply this. We is greater than me. And you might be like, whoa, 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 that sounds deep. It's not really deep. Um, it's just this context of saying, okay, Scripture is driving home this reality that uh, we are bigger than just the me. We're meant to be a part of we, a part of something that God has designed and something that's calling us to something greater than maybe even what we can just, or myself can accomplish on my own. That's what we kind of learn through being a part of a team is that you realize some goals and objectives and missions and things that get accomplished maybe in a grander scale than what it can be when it's just you and it's just me. So there's this context. At First Peter, we've been looking at, uh, and, and not doing an exegetical study through it, but really just kind of using it as a touch point to see, and this is Peter who's writing about 35 to 38 years post the resurrection of Christ, and his faith is deepening, and it's richer, and his friendships are changing, his relationships around it. He's been changed. Remember, that's what Peter's really driving home, is that you have been changed as a person who has said yes to Jesus, and who's walking after him. Now, I know there's probably people here who haven't said yes to Jesus, and you're really questioning, you're kind of searching out this faith thing, and in fact, you may even be sitting here and going, I don't know if I'd buy it. That's great. I hope that you would stay curious enough to keep pursuing, because here's what I know about Jesus. He's still pursuing you. He doesn't quit on you. And, and he's, he's a God who loves to pursue people in a way to draw them to himself. And if you've got questions and hang-ups and, and concerns, that's great. It's a great place to be. And Jesus isn't concerned with that, and he wants you to know him. And so he's not going to push that, but he's going to keep pursuing you. And so we want to be a place where you can kind of live that out and express that a little bit and begin to understand. And first, Peter, Peter's really saying, hey, I, I've got this faith that's changed me. And it's because of this life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, and he's changed my life. And not only has he changed me, he's still in the process of changing me. He's changing how I live and how I see things and how I interact and how I react. In fact, it's impossible to follow Jesus and not be changed in the process. It's just part of what he does. It's part of who he is. And so we've seen this begin to play out. In the first week, we looked at this idea of a, a changed heart. That someone who has said yes to Jesus, who has fallen after Jesus, needs to have some markers of life, things that mark them in their life. And, and one of those is a changed heart. 
You're just living with this passion to love God and love people. That's beginning to change who you are. That you have a changed mind. That where that's what we looked at last week. This idea of scripture becomes more and more a part of your life because you, you know that's the fuel that helps change how you see the world, how you interact with the world, how you react to the world. And tonight I want to look at this idea of changed relationships. And so first Peter chapter two, uh, starting with verse one, here's what he says. So, therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. He's going back to what he talked about at the end of chapter 1. And he's saying, look, because you've been changed, because you're to pursue holiness as God is holy, then this is the stuff you need to get rid of. You need to kind of let it go and not be a part of, of, because it's going to hold you back from the change that God still wants to do in your life. And he says, like, newborn babies, verse 2, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up. If you have a pen, underline that part, that you may grow up. Uh, How many of you are parents here? Raise your hand. Okay. Aren't you glad um, that your kids are growing up? Okay. Amen. Because here's the reality. Babies are adorable, but their sleep patterns are horrible, right? And the older our kids get, the more they tend to, to sleep. And, oh, that's a good blessing. Praise the Lord, right? Um, aren't you glad that you're not changing diapers of your 20-year-old? Okay? That would be odd. Okay? And weird uh, in many other words. And so, like, this idea of growing up is important. And so this is what Peter's emphasizing, this growing up. Part of growing up, isn't it true, that you begin to learn that it's not about you? Isn't that true? Part of growing up and maturing as an individual is realizing it's not just about you. Babies are really selfish. I don't know if you've known that. It's all about them. But part of growing up is realizing it's not all about you. Part of it's growing up and realizing, hey, things are bigger than just me. It's maybe about we. And there's some context here. He goes on, that you may grow up in your salvation uh, now that you've tasted and seen the Lord is good. As you come to him, the living stone, this is speaking of Jesus, he's the living stone, he's been rejected by humans, but chosen by God, precious to him. You also are like living stones, plural. Don't miss that. You are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus. You're like living stones being built up into the spiritual house. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, speaking about Jesus. But to those who don't believe, this stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, meaning this Jesus is a big, big deal. And what you say about him and what you think about him really, really matters. That's what Peter's driving home. That the stone the builders rejected has become this cornerstone, the stone that is causing people to stumble, the rock that makes them fall, depending on what they do with Jesus. What are you going to do with him? Because you got to do something. That's what Peter's saying. But you are a chosen people, plural. A royal priesthood, plural. A holy nation, plural. God's special possession in the context of plural that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you did not receive mercy, but now you have received mercy. Though not overt, what Peter is saying is that you are bigger than just you. 
you've been enfolded, you've been changed, you've been brought into this family of God. And it's a family. It's bigger than just you. In fact, you're the living stones. Anyone live in a house? Okay. It took more than one brick to build your house, right? It's bricks or many pieces, many materials to build your house or your apartment or wherever you call home. It's this context that you're being built into something that's bigger than you. You've been enfolded into this group, this holy nation, this royal priesthood, this chosen people. Meaning there's relational connections that happen here. And as you grow up and realize it's not all about you, you're enfolded into something much, much bigger. And it's to put God's love on display. It's to show the worship of him. And we struggle with this in America. Because in our Western culture, so much of our lens is through the lens of individualism. God loves you individually. But as someone who has said yes to Jesus, who has fallen after him, you're enfolded into something so much bigger. And that's a good thing. And it's meant to be something that helps change you. Because it's more than just being about you. You're these living stones. You're a community that's gathered together. You're connected together. Believers that are to put God's love on display through one another and through that relational connection. It raises the praise of God that together we get to be this spiritual home that welcomes people home. That's welcoming people to be a part of it. It's what we looked at the very first verse, remember week one, John 13. People will know you're my disciples by the way you love yourself. Is that what it is? No. People will know you're my disciples by the way you what? Love one another. That's how people are going to know. It's in this relational connection, one to another. Now, you're important, and you're, you're specific, and you matter, and you're significant, but it's bigger than just you, you and God. We, we've gotten changed. We've been assembled into this to live relationally connected together, and our connectedness one to another is to build a healthy relationship that puts on display that these changed relationships begin to show a, a broken and hurting world. This is how it's meant to be. Not perfect, but this is how it's meant to be. This is how it can work together. That people who are working on this idea, we were never meant to have a solo journey with God. We were never meant to have that. And so much of our culture is about this idea of the, for one generation you'll understand John Wayne, for another generation Jason Bourne, right? And in a lot of ways, we approach in the Western context this concept of spirituality from a Jason Bourne mindset. It's just me and God. That's all I need. And so much of Scripture would say that's not a sentiment that's shared there. That's important, and it's significant, but it's not the only thing. To say it's just you and God is not a statement that's echoed through the, uh, through the passage of Scripture. C.S. Lewis writes this, Christ works on us in all sorts of ways, but above all, he works on us through each other. There's something about life on life and this relational connection that God uses to shape us, to change us even more, and to move us to be more and more the people of God he wants us to be. So we begin to see that in 1 Peter, 
But in Hebrews 10, there's another passage, and in Philippians 2, we'll get to that. Hebrews 10 says this, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful. Meaning, let's hold to this hope of Jesus because Jesus is faithful. And then the very next verse, you know how you hold on to that hope? Because the one who said, hey, you can have hope in me is faithful. The very next verse says this, and let us consider how we can spur one another on and how we can bless one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day approaching. The hope that we have in Jesus is not meant to be just me and Jesus. The very next verse, the writer of Hebrews is saying, this is about expressing and experiencing this together in relational connection. This is about understanding. Spur one another on is this idea of stirring people up. Anyone ever been stirred up to anger? <laughs> That's every hand, okay? We're in church, be honest. Okay, you've been stirred up in anger, right? The same verb that we understand as stirred up to anger in the positive sense is what's being used here. Stir up one another toward love and good deeds to love God, to grow in your love for him and to grow in your love for others, to good deeds, that, that godly things will be a part of your life. You're to encourage one another. The Greek word for encourage here is parakaleo. The idea of what Jesus said, here's the Holy Spirit, he's to be an advocate for us, he's to be our encourager is parakalitas. It's the same verb, that we're to be an advocate for one another, that we live relationally together, and you cannot do that in a virtual way. That only happens through proximity in relationship. Now, it can be encouraging. You can encourage someone virtually, online, through an email, through a text. You could do that. But it's not the primary way. It is a way. But the primary way that we're encouraged one to another is just eyeball to eyeball, knee to knee, conversation to conversation. That's the proximity that's being expressed here in Hebrews 10, this idea that we're meant to be connected together. We is greater than me. It's this context that we've been enfolded into. Dallas Willard uh, writes these words, God's aim in human history is the creation of an inclusive community of loving persons with himself included as the primary sustainer and most glorious inhabitant. God's trying to put together a group of people who are broken, because we're all broken, but who begin to experience and understand how we love one another, not perfectly, but healthy. Working through tensions, working through hurts, doing our best to, to come alongside one another. As we do that, we're being assembled into something so much greater than just you or just me. It's a bigger context. Godly friendships are to be about loving each other, looking out for each other, striving to bring the best out of each other. The same way that Christ loves you, looks out for you, and strives to bring the best out of you. That's what it's meant to be, relationship to relationship. Uh, there's a number of common metaphors people use for the church. I've, I've heard them all. Uh, one is the church is like a gas station. A place to fill up your spiritual tank and be recharged spiritually. The church is like a big box retailer. That it's a one-stop shop of, of kind of programs for children and adults. It's a tourist destination where you show up once a week, you drop in, and without a sense of commitment or permanency to it. 
those are all faulty. Do you want to hear how the Bible describes church and what it's meant to be? The Bible would say, here's some metaphors for you. You're a holy nation. You're a people, not just a person. You're a people. You're a new humanity with a new identity. You're a priesthood, ones that are assembled together to raise the praise of our great king, that people might be captivated by him seeing a group of people worship together. You're a body composed of all the different parts of a body, that it takes every single part to be the body. That's what Paul writes. It's, if everyone's a hand, well, then that's just a weird body, right? And so it takes all these parts to make the body function. You're a nation. You're a bride awaiting their groom. Most often through the New Testament, the church is described as a family. You're a family. Now, is family messy? This is where you roll your eyes. But family's a must. That's why people crave family. Even when they don't have one for themselves, they create one because they crave it, because they need it. Why? Because you were never created for a solo journey. You can be an introvert, enjoy that. You can have alone time, enjoy that. But you were never created to function in and of just yourself. That's why the longing you have, listen, the longing you had in junior high, Think back to then. And what did you want most in junior high? Besides food, because uh, you were hungry. You just wanted to be connected. You just wanted to matter. You wanted to have friendships and, and, and matter to other people, and they matter to you, and you just wanted to be this connection that was there. So many people live with this idea of they live a surrounded life. But they don't live... Uh, they live with a void of this life-giving connection. And it's drastically different to have a surrounded life than a connected life, isn't it? I know so many people that have a surrounded life, and they're all around people, but they're not connected to anyone. And what we long for in the deepest part of who we are is to be connected one to another. We're called not to a surrounded life but to a connected life, connected to God through Jesus and to one another in Jesus. That's what Peter's getting at. You've been enfolded into something that's so much bigger, and this connection begins to have an expression of how it lives out. This is where Paul picks up. And Paul, in Philippians chapter 2, begins to say, here's how you live this out, so to speak. Chapter 2, he says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement, from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit of any tenderness and compassion. Hey, look, if your life has had any kind of dent because of Jesus, then make my joy complete, he says, by being like-minded to who? To Jesus, having the same mindset as him. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Just stop there and think about that. Isn't that our nightly news cycle? People who live with this vain conceit and this selfish ambition. It's what marks so much of what we see in our world. And yet, Paul's saying, look, there's something different to strive for. In other words, don't be self-focused. You don't have to live where it's just about you. It's time to grow up. It's not just about you. 
It's about living relationally connected one to another. And as a believer in Jesus, if you've gotten to that place, you no longer have to make it just about you. In fact, you're freed up because of the love of Jesus to live as a loved one who can now turn around and say, I'm going to love others. And I'm not going to make it just about me. I'm going to be other-focused and not just my own self-focused. Our focus doesn't have to remain on ourselves. We're freed up to look to others and actually practice this calling in living out relational connection in healthy ways. And everybody wins when you do that in a healthy way. A.W. Tozer writes this, There are rare Christians whose very presence incites others to be a better Christian. I want to be a rare Christian. I hope your heart says, like, I want to be like Tozer. I want to be that rare Christian that just incites others to be better because they're connected to me and I'm connected to them. See, the Bible says we are put together, we are joined together, we are built together, we are members together, we're heirs together, we're fitted together, we're held together, we're together, okay? I didn't rattle them all off, but we're together. That's what he's saying. You are not your own anymore. There are 20 plus one another's in the New Testament alone. You know what the one another's are? One, you know, love one another. Forgive one another. Greet each other with a holy kiss. I didn't see anyone of you doing that. I'm kidding. The, the one another's of Scripture. This is how you play this out. This is how you live a connected life with people. Over 20 of them in the New Testament that says, this is how you're to live. Do you want to know what our watching world absolutely needs to see? Just Christians doing this. Just people who have said yes to Jesus, who are following after Jesus, who don't have it all figured out yet, but the best they know how, they're just trying to live this. And they're trying to live a connected life one to another. And they're, they're jumping in and serving. They're, they're jumping into an e-group or into the Propel group or to other groups that we have along here, but just other people are they're living life one to another. They're not just isolated in on themselves. So much spiritual growth happens at the intersection of your relationship with God and your relationship with others. That's where spiritual growth happens, folks. You can have a relationship with God. And you've got to work on that. And you've been invited to participate in that solo. But it's not just solo. So much of the New Testament is driving home this reality. We is greater than me. And it's when I'm in that context and I live at the intersection of that relationship, me and God and me and others, that's where God does some of his best work. Changing who you are continue to grow and mature you, that you would live relationally connected, the church would be his people to a watching world around them. The call of the church is to point people to the person and the power of Jesus and to put on display this power and how they relate one to another. In talking to a friend who's a hospice nurse, 
asking, you know, how, first off, how do you manage that? Because that's such a highly emotional ups and downs uh, of watching people in their last days and trying to come along families and help them. And she said, you know, I, I love being a part of this journey because I know it's difficult and I know it's challenging. God's kind of wired me in a way where I can come alongside and, and I love those interactions. And so I asked a follow-up question that said, so what do people talk about? In those moments, toward the tail end of life, what are the conversations you overhear as you're checking on patients, as you're walking alongside families? And she said, you know, sometimes it's about trips or adventures. Sometimes it's about accomplishments. But you want to know what it's mostly about? Relationships. It's about relationships. The ones they treasure and the ones they wish were better. And that's the conversations. I overhear more and more. Because here's what we know. We learned it in junior high. We long to be loved, to be known, to be noticed, to be appreciated. And we want that for ourselves. And we also want to be people who give that to others. And the world in which we live, if we're just honest, the world in which we live, friends, needs to see healthy groups of people living this out. Not in perfection. How many of you are perfect? No one raise your hand. I know you. I know me. But living this out with progress to say, hey, I'm, I'm healthier now than I was a couple years ago. I, I'm relationally healthier. I, I don't get as upset as fast. I'm learning to forgive a little faster. I'm learning to, to work on relationships a little bit more than what I've done in the past. Francis Schaeffer writes this, he's a pastor, he says, our relationships with each other is the criterion the world uses to judge whether our message is truthful. Christian community is the final apologetic. Christian community People living out a connected life one to another where they're cheering for each other, they're comforting each other, they're loving one another, they're forgiving one another, they're praying for one another. People living this out, not just because they're acquainted or around or surrounded, but they're actually connected. And it's playing out in authenticity in just an authentic way. I think our world that is broken beyond so broken relationally, is dying to see people live this out. And that's the opportunity we get to do. Is that easy? Pfft, no. But it's productive, and it's powerful when we do. That's what you got to put on display today. Those of you who represented the rest of us at Elements and you were there, you put on display this idea of this is what a group of people does when they love well. This is what a group of people does when they, they love well to one to another and they help and support each other. That's why the verse, we've been looking at one verse and uh, one takeaway for these last few weeks, right? So the verse for this week is simply this, 1 Peter 4, 8. It's a couple chapters later. Here in 1 Peter it says this, Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Meaning, is relationships messy? Yeah, you're going to hurt people. You're going to be hurt. 
That's the reality of relationships. Welcome to it. This side of heaven, they're all broken. But can they be better? Can they become healthier? Yes, they can. And this is what our world needs to see. This is what our world needs to, to be captivated by. You're to, above all, love each other deeply because love, this agape kind of love, covers over a multitude of sins. Here's the takeaway. Relationships fueled by the deep love of Jesus, they just run further and stronger and better. And you're blessed by it, and you're a blessing to others through it. And that's the beauty of what we get to be as the church. You're a part of the church. And you're a part. You're not the whole. You're a part of the team. And that's what the team gets to put on display for a watching world that's dealing with broken relationships and trying to figure out how to even be healthy is to see people actually living out the love of Jesus in practical and tangible ways. And so here's the challenge for tonight is simply how are you doing at that? For some of you, I know maybe you're coming back to church and trying to find connection and do that. And, and I just want to tell you, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm praying that God would help you connect. It's going to take energy on your part to do that. It doesn't just happen. It takes work. It takes effort to actually make relationships grow, doesn't it? You know this to be true. It's the same in the church. But as a church, we want to commit to that. So we've got these e-groups that we have going. We've got others that we want to start. We've got Propel that meets on Tuesdays for ladies that want to be a part of that. We've got different groups around here. We've got tons of serve teams and serve opportunities. Here's one of the great things about serving, especially if you're an introvert. You can show up to a serve thing, interact with people for about two minutes, and then just go do your job. And you're like, whew. Listen, anybody can have a conversation for two minutes, okay? You don't have to have a two-hour-long dialogue. Just start with serving. Just start with saying, hey, okay, I'll be a part of something where I'll begin to find a connection around here, or I'll begin to find a connection. See, what if the church, not just elements, but Emmanuel who meets here in the morning, and, and every church around our city, what if the church began to live this out in a better, more practical, more healthy way? Do you think the watching world, who's dealing with broken relationships, would kind of peek in and go, there's something going on there? That's what we heard today from people who are serving, who aren't a part of church anywhere. They're going, what church does this? What kind of people do this? This is crazy. That's exactly the conversations we want to see happening. And you got to do that. And so the invitation is real simple. Find your next step of connecting around here. Above all, love each other deeply. Because love covers over a multitude of sins. It covers over all the oops of relationships that happen. Let's be a place of love. And so I'm just going to pray to that end. And I'm going to ask that God would kind of stir your heart to say, okay, what does that look like for me? What is my next step in that? Uh, maybe you want to jump into an e-group that we have going. Maybe you need to help us start a new one. Uh, maybe we need to figure out some ways that we can serve or jump into some serving opportunities. Find a next step for you to grow in this connection because when you live in relationship connected one to another, you will be changed. Some of the best spiritual growth happens at the intersection of your relationship with God, your relationship with others. And so, Father, that's what we pray. As we move to a time of communion and kind of space to reflect a little bit, 
we remember Jesus. Not just his life, his death, his resurrection that we remember in communion as we celebrate the fact that it was his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of our sins. We remember that. But in the same way, Jesus, you modeled this. You didn't come and just hang out with yourself. You actually had a team of people that you poured around you. You're the disciples that you poured into. And you lived in community. Community mattered. You don't just talk about it, but you modeled it. It's how you establish the church to be a group, an identity, a people, not just a person. You love us each individually, and you're interacting individually with us, but you want us to be part of something so much bigger. And so, Father, would you take these few minutes and stir our hearts to our next step as we worship you through communion, as we worship you through song? Would you stir us tonight? Help us to be a people that begins to put some energy an effort to, to living out changed relationships because it impacts who we are and it helps us be a people of influence and change in the world around us. So we ask for us together as a whole. God, would you help Element City Church to be a place of community and connection? Each of us to own our part in that. Each of us to take our next step together that the world around us, the city that we live within, would see a group of people trying to figure this out the best way we know how, falling after you, Jesus. We pray that in your precious name.